Why do you use your own blood in performances? Because I do not have your, <laughs> yours. <laughs> well, I, I, it's not. It's not on offer, my blood. Thank you very much. I'm using it. Welcome to Artipus, art you can hear. This week, Artipus talks to Russian performance artist Leonid Soy. In 2015, while I was still living in Paris, the curator and artist Anna Tan was putting together a group exhibit and performance festival in Paris between Russian and Ukrainian artists at a point when relations between the two countries were violently escalating. She organized plane fare and accommodation for the visiting groups, but found herself short on housing for a couple of Russians at the last minute. I thought hosting a Russian artist could be an interesting way to spend a week, so I volunteered to put one person up in my flat. I was assigned the performance artist, Leonid Soy. Whose blood would you prefer me to use? I opened my door to a man about my height, jet black hair tied in a messy man bun, scruffy beard, a kind but unreadable face, who was doggedly shuffling up the steps the same way Toshiro Mofune shuffled into that fateful town in Yojimbo. He settled into my living room, offered me pizza and port wine, and so began our friendship. Leo lives and works in St. Petersburg, Russia. He works as a private psychologist and with the charity group Perspectivy, where he helps run art programs for severely disabled adults. As an artist, he is a member of the art collective Bobo, which focuses on art in intimate spaces from inside your home to, as Leo puts it, the intimate space inside your skull. He also is a member of Rodina, an art collective that focuses on political performance art. As an independent artist, he has performed in both Europe and Russia, and still occasionally indulges in visual art and drawing, including his very cool concept graphic novel called Learn Chinese from Mutant Women. Leo and I have continued our friendship via Messenger and Skype, with Leo telling me things about life in Russia that never get into the news, like the AIDS epidemic there, or the systematic destruction of food shipments while people are starving. We have often discussed the benefits of an American-Russian collaboration, although we never had our own governments in mind. Until now, of course. As we enter this brave new world, I sat down with Leo to talk about where things are going for artists, the importance of artists to this new era, and Leo's political performance work with the group Rodina. The, the group is growing at the moment, so I cannot tell you how many people are exactly in the group, but it is 10, I think. <laughs> we succeed to take uh, to take in two persons, like officially with a kind of ritual, and uh, we we will repeat the ritual on the beginning of uh, 2017. So after January, I could tell you about how many are exactly in the group. You're doing a, an initiation ritual. Uh, yeah, kind of. Oh. But we the performances are actually quite different. We do it both indoor and outdoor, and so when we go outdoor, it's not a performance. Maybe it's an action in Russian action, a street mm -hmm. action intervention in the urban space, and sometimes we involve the uh, spectators somehow, and sometimes we just make a more classic performance when people just have to watch it, and sometimes there is some text and speech 
because sometimes they're silent. The latest was this initiation ritual when we fed the, our new members and ourselves with this soil and uh, then we fell down on the ground and uh, took a kind of sleep. It was uh, in the open air in the space uh, in the center of the city, which is called the Eagle of Mars, Marsalopole. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the graveyard for, for the victims of the revolution. So it was uh, the day after the uh, terrible bombing of the Aleppo took place. Okay. So it gave it another another aspect of uh, sense to the action. Okay. Is this the same group that you were a member of when I first met you? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I came to Paris as a member of Rodina. When you came to Paris, you were doing a different performance. It was my, not the first time, but uh, the second time I was in Europe and the first time to make something, like make some art in Europe. And I was thinking like, what could I do? What a Russian artist can do in Europe? And I was thinking about selling my soul. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, many people come from Russia to Europe, you know, like in search for the better life. Mm-hmm. And there are some uh, like usual talkings about uh, like people who leave the country, like they sold their soul. And like this is considered kind of a betrayal or something. So I did it and um, the, I, I um, tried to make an object uh, which could represent my soul properly. And I thought of... Uh, Bread and blood as a material, because uh, this uh, Christianity thing and the soul is uh, more or less comes more or less from Christianity. So and uh, and the uh, the other traditional mark of uh, uh, the soul leaving the body are the points of on the eyes, mm-hmm. like for the transportation to the world of the dead mm-hmm. in the ancient Greece. So I made this and uh, put it on the eyes of the mask of bread and blood which I made. And in the explication I wrote that this object incorporates my soul completely, but nobody wished to buy it. <laughs> so no. I still have. <laughs> nobody bought it. But you wore, you wore a bandage over your eyes, I remember. You sat at a table with the bread that you mixed with your blood, yeah. right? And how did you get your blood out of your body into the bread? With this uh, injector. A syringe? Yes. Yeah, so that was messy, I remember. Yeah, I think so, because I, I made it uh, blindly. <laughs> right, well, it, maybe you have a messy soul. Everybody does. Yeah, that's true. How much were you selling your soul for? I think it was uh, 500 euros, because I thought... It was the time of uh, Christmas uh, sales in Europe, and I reduced the price like 50%. So, <laughs> originally it is 1000 <laughs> Originally it's 1000 <laughs> And then if someone had bought it, you were going to use the money for political purposes. Yeah, kind of, because uh, it was also the time when uh, the most famous Russian uh, artist, I think, Russian political artist, got to prison, Pavlensky. How were you going to help him? Like support, he needed money for the lawyers and stuff. But don't you think that if you take, if you sell your soul and now you're a soulless entity and then you create political action as a soulless person, even if it's for an idea that might be good, don't you think in some way you might still be contributing to the same thing? I mean, because aren't most political actions and most politicians without a soul or soulless, it seems? I mean, isn't that how we got ourselves to where we are today with Donald Trump as president and Vladimir Putin doing his Putin things? (laughs) (laughs) 
think it's a good interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> but my, like uh, I was putting putting in the different sense, but you know, I like your your way of thinking too, because um. um, I didn't explain like the complete sense of this, so uh, it could be read more deeply without it. I didn't explain it because uh, it it kind of makes the spectator think the one way only. Uh huh. But I I like your version. Oh, <laughs> but my version was different. Like it is also a time in Russia when we have this uh, a terribly increasing uh, influence of church. Even Christians they think it is it's wrong. Really, uh, the church the, the church behaves really like ugly, like fascist behavior they show. So uh, I was uh, kind of mocking this uh, Christianity concept of soul. Uh, for me, it's impossible to sell it if it exists. I'm not Christian, and so uh, actually, technically, I don't have the soul. So I don't have anything to sell. And even if I thought I had a soul, like uh, how is it possible to, to sell it physically? It's impossible, right? Mm. Like, <laughs> so um, everybody is... Um, the soulless creature, or everybody has the soul, and it's impossible to sell them. <laughs> well, I didn't know that the that the church was gaining influence in Russia in Russian society. Which church is this? The Russian Orthodox Church? Yeah, sure. Russian Orthodox Church. And it's becoming more conservative. Yeah, kind of. And they, uh, but they are not becoming conservative. They they are conservative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they just are conservative, but they got this influence because the power, uh, the authorities use the church as another as another channel of propaganda. Like, uh, they're increasing the authority of each other. The church approves what government does, and the government is uh, uh, like um, supporting the church to, to command some, on some. Uh, Right. Actions. Has this happened in uh, in Russian society before? It seems to me that this hasn't happened in Russia in a really long time, no? Well, uh, it's a yes and no. As they say, I don't know it myself, but they say, like in Soviet times, many priests were working with the secret service. So they just keeping the same thing too, but they are making a token. They have these official media channels to to like speak out. Mm. But uh, yes, uh, there was no such thing in Soviet Union as a church propaganda. It's obvious because it's like it was the atheist state. Right, right. And, uh, but back there, before the revolution, the, some very similar uh, phenomena took place here. Let's go back in time just a little bit and tell me how you became an artist. Do you have another three hours for it? <laughs> okay. Actually, I wanted to become an artist like back there in school. Mm-hmm. And when I was 24, 25 years old, I got into some very interesting interactive project of uh, an installation where everybody could, could take part. And uh, I, I was involved in that project very, like, very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there I, I gained some, uh, like, approval of how to say it, like, they they thought I they told me I am good enough in in the art, <laughs> so uh, I think I can date back my artist identity to to that time, two thousand and four. <coughs> then uh, in two thousand ten, eleven, eleven it was yeah when the Pussy Riot case was uh, in the in the the most uh, uh, loud time of this story of. We see, right, the trial. Then I thought of uh, the political art as the, actually the main art media in Russia today. 
So if you do some art, it has to be like kind of political performance or nothing, I think, because it's a political performance is in your rock and roll. <laughs> What about the Pussy Riot trial specifically made you want to become engaged politically? I don't know. It touched me. They did nothing and they got to, to prison for two years for a song. It was such an unfair trial. It was not only unfair, it was very absurd. And it was uh, very ugly and grotesque. And it was um, also considering with some like innocent people who are artists. Mm -hmm. And I considered myself an artist. And so this is uh, just uh, professional solidarity. Okay. So this, that's the thing. What is the status of Pussy Riot now? They're released from prison, all the members. Yeah, right. And uh, they, they also make the uh, music videos. As a, like they, they became a, a famous uh, pop group. <laughs> right. Pop music group. Right. And they, they, everybody's blaming them. They, they use their, um, they fame, their fame in, in vain, kind of. But I, I'm okay with them. <laughs> But, I mean, that's like the same as, as an artist like Ai Weiwei. Right. I mean, he became famous from going to prison in China and then he uses that to further his political art. Right. He was more or less famous in China before imprisonment. But uh, yeah, from the from the uh, this repression thing. Yeah, he gained much fame. The government just helped uh, the good thing to, to happen. <laughs> What other performances have you done? You were in Paris, where I met you. Right. After this, Paris, the second time I performed, like, uh, not long after that, in Hamburg, I repeated the thing. Also, no one bought the object, but uh, <laughs> some people just gave me some money. And I put it in the this refugee welcome uh, box. Okay. <laughs> after a few months, I went to Denmark. Uh, there was a personal artist. I performed there two times, in one in Aarhus, which is the second biggest city in, in Denmark. Like during the first performance in Aarhus, I made them a mask of myself, and it was also covered with blood. And uh, in, the, in Copenhagen, I uh, put this mask on and uh, also was wearing it for 24 hours and making a tour through the city, like wearing this bloody mask on. I made some sightseeing and mm -hmm. uh, selfies. Were you acting as both a tourist and a refugee? But I, I, I'm not sure if I can act as a refugee. <laughs> right. But um, I was thinking of that. And we called, the performance was called the, the Art Asylum. And the main place we went in was the Museum of um, Sculpture in Copenhagen, Glypto Tech. The museum is supposed to be an, a psychological asylum and it's pretty of refreshing. So we made some photos in this museum. So that leads me to my next question, actually. Do you believe that art, political art, fine arts, or any kind of art can, can influence a person's uh, mood and behavior and choices that they might make on an individual level in their life? You work with art therapy, right? Mm, yeah, kind of. Uh, I think the, uh, the, the art can make this joke, too. And for me, it, as I already told in my story, like for me, it did. Like when I saw Pussy Riot on their case, I, I was like, my, my behavior as an artist completely changed. So I'm the example of the influence of art. And I, yeah, I kind of became very much more politically involved after this. Do you think that art and, and artists can influence governments and societies? 
Yeah, there's two, I think. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's what uh, Pavlensky, for example, is trying to do. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think, as an artist, you have a responsibility to do that, or do you think it's the individual choice of the artist? I think it's choice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, it would, it could be very like the art is supposed to be the like to to make the world happier, not not um, more cruel. And it, if it was such um, a thing as a like kind of a debt, like you have to do something if you are not, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> then it's just another prison. <laughs> But what about art that is really dark and confrontational, you know? I mean, like like you, you're with with your soul or wearing a bloody mask around Copenhagen. I mean, upon seeing that, some people might think, you know, like, oh, that's very negative or very, very aggressive and confrontational. Or the art of Polanski or, or Ai Weiwei or any politically active artist is often quite... It's kind of in your face, usually. How is that making the world a happier place? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe happier is, is not a, a proper word. <laughs> mm -hmm. Maybe, But yes, it's happier too. But it's not happier like um, at, at once. <laughs> but yeah, they, they just kind of make you work. <laughs> so it's not instant happiness. Yeah. You feel that art works towards engaging people to yeah, me, to motivate them to make the world a better place? Yeah, for me, it definitely does. So what's the situation now for artists in Russia? Is it getting any more difficult? Is it is it exactly the same? Do you feel your work is having an impact on anything? Or Well, I'm not an expert, actually. Okay. But I think, um, for example, in Moscow, it's almost impossible to perform on the streets now. So, but the artists still uh, still are working, and they went into this micro political level. They work with the institutions. They work uh, like uh, with the places uh, similar to work as as a psychologist. Like there are some very interesting anti psychiatric projects, and yeah, they switch the the subject. They switch the subject to fly under the radar a bit. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. But the, the, it's not like it's uh, like inevitable. Like when you when they don't let you walk in the street, you have to walk in some other places. So I, I don't think they, they are. I don't know what to say here. You don't think they're trying to be sneaky? They're just being resourceful. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's no. It's no. I think for me, it it, it doesn't make sense to. Uh, like to make my way to prison, like <laughs> it's very easy, but uh, it's not. Um, I don't think it's uh, there's something new artistically in this. Do you have fear of going to prison, of being stopped as a political artist? Yeah, sure, everybody does. <laughs> And uh, actually, in Russia, you don't have to be a political artist to get to prison. Mm. You even don't have to make uh, any sort of activity. You just can can find yourself there, like. And and how do you see, because this past year, the year of 2016 has brought a lot of big changes in the world politically and raised a lot of subjects that people throughout the, the world that people on average weren't addressing before. And how do you see art, the role of art and the role of artists as we move forward? Oh, that's a big question for me. I'm not a philosopher. <laughs> no, but you are an artist. I mean, what would you like to see as an artist? What would you like to accomplish or what would you like to do? 
Well, we definitely have to do something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <That's what> I, <laughs> well, so we <laughs> agree on that. That's good. <laughs> and um, we have to do more. Like we, we can use art as a way to to confront them, or even not to confront, even not to fight directly, but to uh, make the existence uh, like uh, manageable, <laughs> like uh, to live our lives like more or less bearable, more or less happy. <laughs> Like we can, we could use some art ways. How do you see that we could use art or artistic ways to make our lives more bearable? Like the art provides some ways to speak the truth without actually saying <laughs> the names. Okay. So, for example, so we can speak the truth with art, or we can uh, use the art as a way to make uh, some make some social practices more popular. For example, some horizontal groups, like some self-organized groups, which are very popular in art now. I think the art uh, started to deal with this anarchist discourse, like maybe preparing for those political changes in advance. So the artists have much uh, experience already to, uh, for the society to make it work. Do you feel that... If artists can invite society to look into their lives and their ways of living, that this can be a positive influence on society in general? Yeah, that's my point. But um, it, it is not only the positive, but uh, as I said, we don't have much much places to live. And the art is one of such places. You mean to live and to express ourselves and to, yeah, to fully to feel live, and... To live as human beings. Like you said, that a lot of artists are now sort of using anarchist theory or addressing anarchist theory in their work in preparation for things to come. Do you think in general artists are more sensitive to, you know, kind of maybe seeing a bigger picture? Much more sensitive than usual people that kind of bring the uh, some uh, like um, Superman thing into this. No, the artist is not Superman, but uh, the, the contemporary artist like um, have to know much they're maybe more educated because they are begin to uh, begin to be more the art theory than the art itself like but they're in 70s so the artists are more educated than some people <laughs> okay so they can they can really be helpful <laughs> they can be helpful they're not better they just uh, maybe know some things as a student, not as not as a, they know from God or something mystical. Just they they learn it. What do you think about um, memorial art, like war memorial? You know, here in Berlin, there's a lot of memorials to um, to the Holocaust. So there's you know the Jewish memorial is very famous. There is yeah. a memorial to the Roma people who were killed. There is a memorial to homosexuals. You know, there's big memorials and small memorials. There's brass plaques all over the city that mark the places where people lived before they were deported to camps. Do you think it's worthwhile? Do you think it can help raise awareness or prevent these things from happening, from repeating in the future? Is it, or is it simply always looking to the past and only serves as a memory and not not a, maybe not a warning. It can be used uh, as well to prevent some 
and terrible events in future, but it has to be accompanied with some work of uh, the institutions like the educational and uh, and so on. Memorial art can be also very different. For example, the monuments to Stalin and Lenin are also memorial art. Mm. And um, <laughs> as we can see in Ukraine now, they're trying to get rid of them <laughs> sooner. <laughs> as <Right>. soon as <laughs> So... It's also memorial art. It can be used, and it is used by the authorities as a, as just a media, another media. Mm. And uh, it can be read uh, different ways, like and even opposite ways. We have some new memorials in Russia today too. Like they they are trying to make the new monuments to Joseph Stalin. It's also memorial art. <laughs> mm. So. It can be good or bad. It's just these uh, this type of art is uh, architecture or sculpture. They are very expensive. They really require some uh, help from the government to happen. So for me, it's not really an art. It's a kind of a strategy. It's kind of a media more. So well, but do, I mean, don't you think that depends on the government? It strongly depends on the government, like this monuments. Mm. Yeah, as I said, in Russia we have kind of new monuments which are really disgusting. Monuments to Stalin and Lenin. Yeah, monuments to Stalin, monuments to some mother. Like there was a museum of uh, the victims of Stalin terror in uh, Perm city last year. They changed it to the museum of the prison workers. Oh, so yeah, that's uh, that's the kind of uh, they can do to any monument actually. <laughs> huh. Yeah, that's a good point. You, you could just change the name and then change the meaning. Yeah, that's frightening. If, yeah, yeah, that's frightening. Yeah, so the the art is not independent when it, when it is like very expensive and solid and huge. The Statue of Liberty can uh, really be changed to the Statue of uh, I don't know, Revenge. For <laughs> it could be changed to like the Statue of Victory. I mean, what do you think about Donald Trump as president and all the stuff that's happening in the world right now? This scares the shit out of me. <laughs> hey, welcome to that club. But we're sort of being welcomed into your club, aren't we? <laughs> I don't know if it matters. <laughs> why, do you, why do you say that? Whose club is that? <laughs> yeah, whose club is know. it? I actually don't think it is our club. <laughs> no, no, I don't think we're members of that club. Welcome to someone else's club. <laughs> yeah, kind of, huh? Do you think it will be more difficult to continue to practice your art in the in the coming years if things keep going in the direction they're going? But it's uh, it's not very easy, like even now. <laughs> I don't know what to say here, actually. As I already said, you can you can practice or not practice. You can get to prison in Russia like um, uh, this one. But the life in Russia is uh, getting more and more difficult. It's not only about the art. It's more and more expensive. It's more and more, I don't know, more and more cruel. Cruel? So How is yeah, it? Yeah, it's difficult for every, everyone. <laughs> How is it more cruel? Because uh, people, they uh, don't have much chance to react to the real problems, like which is their government. So they uh, like react to each other in the cruel way. Uh, I see. They, they, are, they are more sad and angry. I can feel it. Like, and it's increasing. Like, day after day, I come and see more sad and angry people. <laughs> 
They're turning against each other, you mean? Yeah. Do you have any advice for people who are entering into this new era that you're a little more familiar mm. with than Americans or French or... Oh, advice. <laughs> Actually, mm, I don't know. Find yourself a psychotherapist. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can all hire you. <laughs> yeah, maybe even me. <laughs> and um, actually, I mean it. And uh, also, you have to find yourself a community. That's the main thing to do. If you don't have, if you don't uh, have it, you have to start it. <laughs> That makes sense. To not be so isolated. Yeah, but uh, it's not even the friendship and blah blah blah. It's also about the survival. Because. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, you have to have a community to survive. What's your favorite movie? Movie? Yeah. Movie, my favorite movie, Apocalypse yeah. Now. What? Apocalypse <laughs> Now? Yeah, sure. Marlon Brando, forever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For more information on the work of Leonid Soy, check out our Facebook page for links to Leo's work with Rodina, Bobo, Work for Food Project, and Perspective Art Studio. We're at facebook.com slash artipus. Artipus is, of course, spelled A-R-T-I-P-O-E-U-S. Artipus. Art you can hear. Don't let Trump kill you. <laughs> Don't let Putin kill you. Trump Putin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, that's, uh, we come to learn one day they are the same person. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yes. Find out what artists and exhibits I'm loving lately. Now you can follow Artipus on Glarify, the interactive global mapping tool that lets you locate artists' studios, openings, and exhibits around the world. Become part of your local art scene everywhere you go. It's free. Glarify is an official partner of Artipus. Visit Glarify.com. Artipus is a proud supporter of Prana, the platform for the homeless. Prana is the only digital app providing direct connections with people, organizations, and dynamic real-time information about food, shelter, clothing, job-seeking, sanitary services, and medical help to the people who need it most. Help the homeless by helping Prana grow. Visit the website at www.pranaapp.weebly.com. You can find Artipus on SoundCloud and iTunes, WRP in Paris, and Indie Berlin in Berlin. And you can see photos and read transcripts of this episode and more at artipus.com. Artipus, art you can hear. Artipus is written and produced by Susie Kollek with sound design by Greg Palmer, recorded and mixed in Berlin. That's all for Artipus this week. I'm Susie Kollek. See you around town.